So tonight, we are talking about a kingdom mindset. Uh, what is a kingdom mindset? If you've been at Hope Church any amount of time, especially in the last two or three years as we've been going through the book of Matthew, uh, we have called the book of Matthew the series that we've been doing, Your Kingdom Come. The, the book of Matthew is really talking about Jesus as the king of his kingdom and his kingdom coming here. Uh, as it keeps saying repeatedly, behold the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand as Jesus announces that he is here. And so what I've titled this evening's message, and you'll see it at the very top, is when his what becomes our why. When God's what, the reason that God does what God does, the the reason that we say last week that God is always moving, that God is inviting to us as his created beings that he loves so much, so much that he gave his own son for us to have that relationship with us. He is now inviting us to be part of what he is doing for us to join him on his mission. And today, or this evening, we're going to talk about when his what becomes our why. Another way to say it is maybe when his mission becomes our passion. When that becomes the reason that we do the things that we do day in and day out isn't because we're trying to make ourselves look awesome, but because we are trying to make God look awesome, which actually God is awesome. It takes very little work on our part to make him look awesome because he is awesome. He is the definition of awesome or full of awe. So just to start, when we ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, or the kingdom is God's reign bringing about his purposes to reconcile, redeem, and restore the world. We're going to say this a couple times tonight. The kingdom is God's reign bringing about his purposes to reconcile, redeem, and restore the world. And I could easily summarize this tonight in three or four hours just to start. In fact, we're going to be kind of hitting just a couple of Bible verses. I'm going to be giving you some references to write down to go through later, which is very hard for me as somebody who likes to teach exegetically just to be bouncing. But this is the big story of the entire Bible. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let somebody who's much better at summarizing things, uh, the gentleman at the Bible Project, uh, we're just going to play a short video to help introduce what we're going to be talking about this evening. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning. 
where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice 
has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Like I said, I figured they could do it better in five minutes than I could. But I want you to think of that picture or the, the way that they mapped it out of these little crosses or these little uh, Jesuses, if you will. The, the term Christian is little Christ. It's what the followers of Christ were called early on. That's where we get. And now um, we see how we represent the kingdom. Uh, what was the Garden of Eden and what will be the future uh, city of God, now we, uh, those who have made a decision to make Jesus the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, uh, now represent where we go this kingdom. Now, if that's confusing, don't worry. I'm going to take the next 58 minutes and just, just kidding. Hoping to describe it. Now, I also know that tonight this will lead to a lot of questions. And that is totally fine. If I have not said this yet tonight, my favorite thing is to get together with people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, there are several people, my wife, our staff, we love getting together and having these conversations over coffee or tea or water or whatever. Uh, that's why we are here. This is just the starting point tonight to have further conversations. These conversations are what is going to happen in community groups. So if you're not in a community group, please let us know. We would love to get you. So again, for you tonight is a conversation starter. Write your questions down. Uh, you can borrow one of your child's crayons and do it with that if it helps. But what I want to help you see the big picture is how you play a part in this kingdom of God and why the kingdom of God is this driving force behind uh, what we do in these different realms, if you will. So you'll see on your notes that there is this um, graphic in bold, and it's disciple, less than a church, less than the church, less than the kingdom. And what I want you to picture is not necessarily that that symbol is a greater than or a less than, even though that's what it means, but rather it is better when working in sync with, or this is a smaller part of something that is bigger than itself. As we, as we think about the kingdom of God being bigger than what we can do, but yet we play a part in it. And so we're going to come to that first word that you will see, and that is the word disciple. And how we have defined the word disciple, just this is Hope Church specific, uh, it was actually part of an exercise when I was going through uh, this program when we first moved here, was your church needs to come up with a, uh, what is your way that you would define the term disciple? And for us, we say a follower, uh, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, or a follower of Jesus continually being transformed by the gospel. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who is continually being transformed by the gospel. Uh, we believe that the kingdom transforms disciples 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, making an unmistakable difference in lives and communities compelled by God's love. You'll see those passages there, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, we also left a blank to see who's paying attention, because all it says is Corinthians 5. There is no Corinthians. It's either first or second. That is 2 Corinthians 5, so you can write a 2 next to there. We're just seeing who's paying attention. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you might know the passage, and um, Paul says, I'll just read it, it's easier. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, there is a lot in there that I would love to talk about for a very long time. But basically saying you are to give everything, that living sacrifice is all that makes you you. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your experiences, your, your relationships, all that is to be given on the altar to God. Uh, and instead of dying, you are now living for Him. But then that definition of disciple, that do not be conformed to this world any longer. The word conformed means that whatever is on the outside is turning you into what it wants. Uh, when you're being conformed, it is the idea of an a, um, artist or somebody making a piece of ceramic where they are forming that piece of clay into what they want. They are conforming that piece of clay into what they are desiring to make. But he says, no, don't be conformed by the world, but rather be transformed. And the idea of being transformed is something on the inside. In this case, the Holy Spirit working in the, the lives of somebody who has made Jesus the forgiver of their sin and the leader of their life. It's transforming them and it's going from inside to outside and it's affecting the world around them. And so a, a, a marking definition of somebody who is an actual follower of Christ is they are continually being transformed by the power of the gospel. And this is very much operating in the kingdom of God, but at the very individual level. This is the individual believer and their relationship with God. Something that we've been saying a lot lately is, how are you doing in spending time alone with God? Your personal time, is it something that's set apart? Is it something that you uh, strive to do, that you've put on a calendar that is uh, non-negotiable? This time is not interrupted. It is with me and God. That's where that starts, that transformation of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Also understand that as a disciple, if you are trying to act like Jesus outside of the Holy Spirit that is working inside of you and you are just doing it on your own, that is actually dishonoring to Jesus because it becomes all about you and it becomes all about the attention that you want. Not only that, but you will become exhausted when you are trying to live this way out of your own power. I have really good news. We are talking more about disciple in two weeks and we'll go into more depth there. But that very first level, that disciple, a disciple is where it starts in this idea. The next part that we come to is a church, a church. And by that, we mean a local church, a local expression of the body of Christ. Uh, very specifically, Hope Church, the church that meets on Saturday night. Uh, I can talk more in depth about Hope Church because I happen to be in leadership at Hope Church and I feel like I know how God has wanted Hope Church to play a role in this. 
but that a church or a local church, um, Preben Veng says that the church functions as God's kingdom vehicle on earth intended to be a community that exists to evidence God's story. So we start with disciple. And as a disciple, you now have um, that presence, as 1 Corinthians tells us, that you are now a temple, that representation from the video of Jesus living inside of you. And now where you go, you are now representing Jesus where you go, representing the kingdom that you will be a part of. So we have Jesus modeling this. Remember when we were in, uh, starting in Matthew and we see him healing all these people. And what he's doing is he is taking by only his power that he can do. And he is returning things back to how they were originally created in the Garden of Eden in perfection. He is making what man has broken and he's making it whole again. Also representing what his future kingdom that will last for all eternity will be like. And then when he gives us our instructions to carry it out, now we, as representing Christ, as a disciple, try to do what we can to do that to the people around us, the people where we live, learn, work, and play. We demonstrate a different way of living. Um, my idea of church planning and starting a church drastically changed in the process of moving here and planning a church. I honestly thought I had it all figured out. And then I got here and very quickly realized I did not. And you can listen to the backstories to that in the previous messages. I thought you show up, you get a nice building with the best sound equipment and the best band, and you just start a worship service, and then people come to it because they're going to be so enthralled with how awesome your band is and how awesome your preaching is. And then you start making disciples. Then, going through the Cypress Project with Neil McGlowan, I realized I have it all backwards. What you do is you go into a community and you try to represent Christ. Uh, now when I meet with church planners, I say you start in Matthew 5. Uh, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Beatitudes. And as you start to live out those Beatitudes as a disciple, as an individual, you will more than likely start to bump into other individuals who are also trying to live out these Beatitudes. And as more disciples start to come together, living out, trying to represent Christ where they live, learn, work, and play, hoping that every man, woman, and child has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, it becomes bigger. And that's where you start to have this local expression or a local church form, is a small group of people coming together to try to represent the kingdom of God in their geographical circle of accountability, as we call it. So that's what we now see here, and that is this local church is how God, uh, God's kingdom vehicle on earth, or another way we say it is the church is God's strategy for building his kingdom. And so one of the questions, a driving force question to us specifically here at Hope Church is if Hope Church ceased to exist, if at the end of the service tonight we're like, oh, by the way, one other thing, we're never meeting again. We're not doing that, by the way. Take a deep breath. We're fine. But if Hope Church ceased to exist, would the community at large notice? Uh, that is a driving question for us that we've asked since we first uh, felt God leading us to do this. Is, uh, are we making a difference in our community? Do people know uh, that Hope Church is a place they can go and, and get help, no matter if it's physical help, emotional help, that we can help them in some form, that we are there for them as we represent the kingdom of God here on earth? Another question that we ask ourselves regularly is, what does Hope Church do 
well. That's not a bragging point by any means. It's just uh, what do we specifically do well as Hope Church? Uh, The way that we decided to do Saturday nights, and the best way to describe it is we viewed all the churches here in the Somerville area, and the way that I view them is they are this beautiful mosaic of tile. And I don't know if you've ever, I had a friend who did tile work, and he was just absolutely amazing at what he did, and you see these kitchens and bathrooms he would do, and they were just absolutely beautiful, but they all needed an individual piece of ceramic tile to make it beautiful. And what we said from the very beginning as Hope Church is, okay, we'll be the grout will be the grout. We will find the cracks that need to be filled that the t- other tiles uh, just don't do, but we will work with the tiles around us, and we will just find the areas that need help in. So that's what we've done, and we've invited other churches to come partner with us. If you've been at our grocery giveaways, you'll see six, seven churches represented because it's one of the things we feel God called us to do and other churches. The other question that we ask is, what are other churches in our area doing well, and how do we help them? It's not a competition. Other churches are working together so that we can reach our area with Christ. We want to represent the kingdom of God at large. That is the main driving goal. Something that we say uh, in our meetings all the time is that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. If that church is doing this really well, great, we'll send people there that are passionate about that. It's not about growing a church large, as we've been saying the last couple of weeks. It's about multiplication, not addition. How do we multiply ourselves out? And so that's where we have this local expression of a church. Uh, several months ago, we talked about um, uh, Jesus talking to Peter, and he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. That was the universal church. Local churches, if you're not aware, they come and go. Uh, I heard one speaker say a long time ago, he goes, when's the last time you saw a tweet from the church at Ephesus? Ephesus was completely destroyed. It's just a city of ruins. But the universal church stands strong. Most of the churches that we see Paul writing or John or whoever Peter writing letters to, those churches no longer exist. But the universal church continues to exist. Why? Local churches kind of come and go, but the universal church will last forever, the body and bride of Christ. So a local church or a church then becomes the church, and this is what we mean by the universal church. And when these smaller churches come together in a community and say, hey, we are, as we've said, as a disciple, I'm going to own the lostness of my circle of accountability, and I'm going to go to a church and partner with other individuals who are similar in mindset. By the way, this is where the idea of unity comes in, not uniformity. Uh, we have unity because a lot of us disagree with each other on a lot of things. Jose is wearing a Philadelphia Eagles sweatshirt. It is the first thing I noticed when I got up here. I feel sick to my stomach. I'm, I'm fine. But me and Jose may disagree on some things. Randy and Kathy are wearing Michigan colors. I saw them walk in right away and gave them a hug. Go blue. So, but we all come together, and I'm just using sports. There's way deeper issues at hand. But we come together because we have unity. If all of us like the exact same thing and believe the exact same thing, that's uniformity. That's easy. Unity is tough and can only be done through the power of Christ. So we bring together this group of people, 
and we have unity, but now we say we can't reach our community by ourselves. We need all these other churches, cross-denominationally, cross-whatever, and we have to work together, and this is what forms the universal church representing the kingdom of God. And I'll be very blunt, it saddens me that I spent so much of my life thinking it was all about making whatever church I was part of greater than all the other local churches in the town. And I hate that it wasn't until I came here and was introduced to other pastors who were so willing to work with us and help us out because they knew there were souls of lost people at stake. And so we had to work together, and I was crushingly convicted. So now it's become a passion of mine because I'm really just mad at my past self and the amount of years I wasted of saying, now how do we work together? That brings us to the universal church. And the world will know that God is alive and active when his followers work in unity to build his kingdom. Universal church, the world will know that God is alive and active when his followers work in unity to build his kingdom. Please understand, God is alive and active. It usually comes down to us not obeying correctly. It usually comes down to us allowing little things. I think of Darren Gabriel the first week I was back after sabbatical and Darren Gabriel preaching and saying, Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you can only think like a human. You don't understand how I think and how I build my kingdom, basically. And I was crushingly convicted sitting here. So I realized for a long time I have stuck my feet in the sand on some issues that just don't matter. And that if we want to move forward reaching our community for Christ, that I had to just let those things go. That it was more about my pride than God's glory. So how do we unify to build his kingdom in our community? God's kingdom is greater than any singular church and demands the church collaborate to advance the kingdom in their place. God's kingdom is greater than any singular local church and demands the church, the universal church, collaborate to advance the kingdom in their place. I'm very excited this week. Uh, those of you that have been here since last year know that last year we were so excited to do a Christmas Eve service for the community in Hutchinson Square. Uh, and a couple other churches said, hey, can we help out with that as well? And it happened late. Uh, We were so excited, and then God in his sovereignty allowed it to get down to 14 degrees on Christmas Eve here. Uh, The staff got together, and I said, hey, we haven't even started setting up yet. We're going to be outside for four hours. Who thinks we should cancel? All hands went up. Okay, we're going to have to cancel this. Just found out we got the permit approved to do it again this coming Christmas Eve. Very excited about. Um, Risen Hope Church, Mike Seaver. Um, that you know, well, we're partnering with Risen Hope, we're partnering with uh, Guy Smith, the pastor of Jedburgh Baptist Church, and this week we're going to find out what other churches, hey, how do we come together in Hutchinson Square, this opportunity to share the gospel with our community on Christmas Eve, how do we come together? So be praying for that, but that's just one of the ways that we feel we can be unified in this as we try to reach our community for Christ. Churches working together that unity is going to do more to advance the kingdom of God than trying to do things singularly or thinking that we've got it all figured out as a church and everybody should be doing what we're doing. No, we must use each other. We must need and work with each other. In fact, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and read verses 11 through 16. 
Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, so Christ, gave him, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up, become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I love this passage because we can apply it to every single part. One, as we talk about the disciple. As a disciple, we follow Christ and we allow uh, God's Word to work in our life. We allow the Holy Spirit to be transforming us and it starts to affect the people in our immediate area. It starts to transform or affect the people that are on our outside, whether it be our family, our roommates, our co-workers, our neighbors, whatever it is. And then as we join together with other people who are trying to do the same thing, it forms this local church, specifically for us, Hope Church. And now we are starting to realize that God has given each one of us different talents and, and gifts and abilities and even life experiences that he's allowed us to go through for us to use those for his glory. And we come together and we form this beautiful local expression of the body of Christ where each of us have these talents and gifts and abilities and experiences and we start to reach people together and we start to encourage each other and we carry each other's burdens and all of the 62 one another's that we are told to do for each other in this local body. And then we get to partner with yet another body of local believers and more of them. And you kind of have this, uh, I think it's one of the cell phone commercials, and it shows like these lines, and they're going all over the world as they're connecting. And, and that's what we are to do. And as we start to connect with other churches, we are now starting to see different connections happening as we are demonstrating and then saturating a local geographical place with the gospel of Jesus Christ that is there to change people's lives, that is there to give hope and to joy and love. And as we do that, we then become uh, and again, in Matthew 5, when Jesus says the church is like a city on a hill, it is a place of refuge, it is a place of safety when we represent who Jesus is, the love as we continue to see Jesus go into where the sinners are. He continues to love those that the religious leaders said, no, 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 we actually are, we're good with them. He continues to go to the dark places, bringing light into the dark places, and so that's what we are as we join with other churches living this out. That brings us to the kingdom. The kingdom is God's reign bringing about his purposes to reconcile, redeem, and restore the world. That's when we pray, as they said in the video, in, in the uh, Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, that when you speak in heaven, the angels listen immediately. So Lord, help us, in order to build your kingdom, listen immediately like the angels do in heaven. Help us not to get distracted by the things of this world that will hold us back from building your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in 
heaven. That we would play our part in demonstrating the reconciliation, the redemptive love, and how Jesus is wanting to restore all things to himself. So what does the kingdom look like as it plays out? You'll see these three points, and you can write after those. Number one, the kingdom unifies. The kingdom unifies. The kingdom unifies God's people as a noticeable community that is distinctive in their values, decisions, and behaviors. The kingdom brings together, and when this starts to happen, it is noticeable. Why? When you live out biblical living, when you live out the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, when you live out how God has called us to live and love our communities around us, people can't help but take notice because you're doing things differently. It's not about you, it's about God. Number two, the kingdom influences. The kingdom's noticeable influence continually moves outward into every domain of our city as Jesus reigns in and through his people. We talk about his kingdom, meaning that he is king. And we are his subjects. We are his servants. We are his slaves. And when a king speaks, you listen. And so as we live out what Jesus is doing, it is us obeying our king as he commands us to represent who he is, wherever we live, learn, work, and play. And as his reign is noticeable in our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, again, it becomes noticeable to those that are close to us. Number three, the kingdom is the prize. Please understand, the kingdom is always the ultimate prize. As the video said, this is what the Bible is written about. It's more about this than anything else. That's why I'm just going through a couple passages because really it's your whole Bible. The church is the means for God's end to saturate the earth with the glory of the king and the good news of the kingdom. We go back when his what becomes our why. When his mission becomes our passion. What does it look like? The kingdom grows inexplicably and rapidly through ordinary people surrendered to the king. Uh, we're going to talk at announcements, but I'm going to tell you again, sign up for our newsletter. Go to our website, go all the way to the bottom of the page, and you can just type in your email address to get our newsletter. Here's why. We've said for a long time, and a lot of you have started and are doing it, we partner with Empower One in Northeast Africa. They are in three different countries. And I love the example that we are seeing and we were able just to have uh, lunch with David Kaya, the director from South Sudan, and some of the other people uh, two weeks ago. Uh, this is what we have seen in our partnership with them over the last six years. Sudan was the fifth most persecuted country in the world towards Christians. So when we see the power of God, they started in South Sudan in refugee camps in Uganda, and we saw the gospel spread. People have nothing. They're living in refugee camps. They're barely having food. They don't have the medicine. Um, remember David Kai, one of the first times came, a friend of his who's a pastor there, his son died because they could not, with a group of friends, get a dollar and 19 cents together to buy the medicine that would have healed his son. 
but they loved their communities. They were being heavily persecuted and they continued to love and they continued to love and they continued to love. Then Sudan said, okay, you can be a Christian in our country. The Muslims still heavily persecute, but they're not backed by the government anymore. Why? Because Christianity was growing so fast because of Christ's love being demonstrated. And now, we, through your giving, we are able to play a part in them launching these flagship churches. And so Sudan, who three years ago you couldn't be a Christian in the country, now they've started five flagship churches in that country that are training other church planners and going out. So when I see the kingdom grows inexplicably and rapidly through ordinary people surrendered to the king, we've seen that play out repeatedly around the world. It's happening right now. It can happen right here in Somerville. What needs to happen? Jesus' followers being obedient to his kingship and his reign, allowing him to reign through their lives and representing his kingdom. So you'll see this graphic that we have in here, kind of like a funnel. This is what helped me kind of understand how this all plays out. And again, I grew up my whole life in church and went to Bible college and seminary. And it wasn't until I got here that I realized like, oh, it's not about me. It's not about a church. It's about the kingdom of God. So at the very top, we have the kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing, is we are to be that little representation of Christ that God and his sovereignty allows us to be represented in. And as we are representing that, we are also part of the universal church. God's strategy for building his kingdom is using the universal church all around the world, meeting in unbelievably different ways. I think right now, the majority of believers in the world would never advertise where they're meeting because it would mean death to their leaders. They would never say, hey, let's get a loud band and sing music in a big building that very much stands out in the community. They would all die. But, not saying any of those things are wrong. It's just this universal church has so many different ways of doing it. It is this beautiful mosaic of tiles that God has designed. But inside of that, we are responsible to God to be part of a local church where we get to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our experiences inside of a local church. And again, I, I say this if you're, if you're a guest, if you've been coming for a long time, and you're like, I just don't know if this is the right church. It may not be, and that's okay. Let me know. I will help you find a church that is best suited for you. And as a pastor, everything in me says, don't say that. But I mean it. If you talk to a pastor in town and he can't give you three other churches to visit, don't trust him. He's in it for himself. Sorry, I, I don't know of any. But it's about the kingdom of God and how we operate in a local church. If you want to know how you can get involved, let us know. We want to help you get involved here. But it may be that the church down the street is a better fit for you and your giftedness, and that's good. We need us all working together. But then that brings it down to the individual disciple. And if you are here this evening and you have never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life, that is for us the reason that we do everything that we do. Because I know Jesus and I know my sins are forgiven, not by anything that I've done, but only because of what he's done. 
I know the love and the joy and the hope that that comes with it. And if you don't, I want to have that conversation with you. Our staff wants to have that conversation with you. We love you. We care for you. We want you to know what it is to know him. Please come up and talk to me or anybody you see on stage or in the back. We want to have that conversation with you. Because then you become this disciple of Christ and the power of the Almighty God working through his word and through his Holy Spirit begins to work in you and that, trans that life transformation starts to take shape. And it will continue to go until you are no longer here on earth. So please come and talk to us. So we have the big kingdom that plays down through the universal church, through a local body of believers and a local church expression, through the individual disciple. But also it goes up. That individual disciple, and this is why I love it, goes back and forth. That disciple is responsible to God. I, I had uh, get asked a question quite a bit, like, isn't it a lot of responsibility to be a pastor? And I was like, I am responsible to God for what God has called me to do. It's a calling. And the money is fantastic. It's a calling of God that you obey. Every single person in this room that knows Christ has a calling on your life, and you are just as responsible to God for what he's called you to do as I am. There isn't this massive difference. You've been called to your spouse. You've been called to your family. You've been called to your neighborhood. You've been called to your workplace. All of us have a calling that as an individual disciple, we are responsible to God for what he's called us to live out to him. Part of what he's called us to do is to be part of a local church. First John, uh, specifically all through the New Testament, he says the one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, be there for one another, encourage one another, confront one another, uh, love unconditionally one another. But also he says, if you love me, you'll love each other. And if you don't love each other, you don't love me. That all happens in that local church setting. But then we are also responsible to God to be a part of the universal church and say, how do we, operating with my gifts, talents, abilities, and experiences in a local church, become part of the universal church and help our community as a whole? But also, how do we help countries around the world who are also doing these exact things? Why? Because it's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about building the kingdom of God. And all about the kingdom of God is all about the kingdom of God using the strategy of the universal church as the, the kingdom vehicle for building it through the local church, through the individual disciple. And there it goes back and forth, back and forth. And so what we want you to do this week in the application, and you'll notice there's a lot of blank spots there, I'm not giving you the answer. That's between you and God. So like I said, tonight this is just the intro for what you get to do the rest of this week on your own or in your community group, preferably in your community group as well. The thing I want you to remember is you're either trying to build God's kingdom or your kingdom, and you can't do both. You're either building God's kingdom or your kingdom, and you cannot do both at the same time. They'll say you're either trying to make God look awesome or you're trying to make yourself look awesome, and you can't do both at the same time. So there are three questions for you to work through this week with your spouse, your roommate, coworker. And again, if you're not in the community group, please let us know. We would love to have you. If you come to church on Saturday night, you're only seeing really a third of what we believe the church is. Number one, for yourself 
or before your community groups, write a short definition of what is the kingdom. Why is God's kingdom better than the kingdom we try to build? If you don't know, let me know. I will be your cheat sheet. I would love to have that conversation or somebody else on staff. We would love to get together and walk back through this. We know it's a lot to do. In, uh, I've only been preaching for 22 minutes for those of you keeping track. Number two, what values, decisions, and behaviors characterize people who are living out God's kingdom? I'll give you a hint. Write down Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Really, it's the whole Bible, but a short answer. Read through Matthew 5 and 7 and, and write out what are the values, decisions, behaviors that characterize people who are living out God's kingdom. And then number three, this is the tough one. If the kingdom of God is the ultimate prize, have you surrendered every area of your life to kingdom purposes? What areas do you need to grow in surrendering to kingdom living? Consider the grid of time, energy, resources, and relationships. Again, that's a loaded question, and we'd be more than happy to walk through that with you as well. The main point that I want you to take home this evening is this is the intro. We want to have a conversation with you. We want to have these conversations in community groups. And if you have never made a decision to follow Christ, hopefully it helps tonight to see a bigger picture that you are being invited into being a part of something bigger than yourself that will last for eternity. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have. As a created being, as a created being who cannot help but sin against you, that despite that, you still love me. That despite that, you still love your creation so much that you sent your son to come to earth to take on the sins of the world, to take on our punishment as they killed him on the cross, to take our sins to the grave, but that he defeated death, leaving our sins in the grave, so that when we call on him to forgive us, become the ruler of our life, that we can have a relationship with the Almighty God, the Creator God who loves us so much. But I pray if there's anyone here this evening who has never made that decision to follow you, that tonight they would make that decision. Lord, I pray for those here who do know you, who do know you and love you, but Lord, we know Satan loves to distract us. Satan loves to make our kingdom seem like it's much more important than your kingdom. Who loves to make us think that your kingdom is something we do later in life, but right now we have to focus on ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts that as we go through these questions this evening or this week, that we would sincerely seek you out and what you have to tell us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you do all of these things for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.